It's a special night, isn't it? The last night of the year. We've survived 2023. What does 2024 have in store for us? Whatever comes is good news that Jesus Christ is alive today. Praise the Lord. Paul wrote in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and Messiah. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And no matter what the circumstances are out there, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And we can praise God that in the last year, many people have called on the name of Jesus in all kinds of situations, some good, some bad. Some countries where it's suppressed have also seen many people coming to faith in Jesus. We can think of friends we have here from Iran and what's happening in that country and many people come to faith in Jesus through faith, through believing in Jesus. But I'm told that half the mosques in Iran are now closed because people don't want to go to them anymore. One of the achievements of the Islamic regime has been to put people off Islam and pray that many may come to faith in Jesus. And we're going to see a video later on of one for Israel, showing how the gospel is going out into Israel, effectively reaching both secular and religious Jewish people with the good news that Yeshua is the Messiah. And that is the good news, isn't it? Paul also wrote in Corinthians, I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the good news, and nothing can change that. It's already happened. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He's alive today, and he's coming back soon. And that's also the great hope which we have as believers in the Messiah. Meantime, things may get a bit sticky here on the earth. In fact, they're already pretty sticky in many parts, especially the terrible events we've seen taking place in the land of Israel and now happening in Gaza and surrounding. And if you come to this church regularly, you know that we do have a particular interest in Israel and what's taking place there. So the first part of this talk actually will be looking at what's happened in Israel, what is happening, and what is going to happen. Um, Uh, One of the interests... I follow a lot of websites uh, about Israel. One of them is called... uh, Israel 365, Israel 365, and it had this uh, clip from an article by an MK member of the Knesset called Galit Distel Atbarim, who told the Knesset that despite addressing, identifying as a non-religious, she praised the messianic manifestations appearing among the IDF in Gaza, and she described a, hun- a gathering of hundreds of soldiers singing Anima Amim, I believe, before going into Gaza. And this is the prayer. I believe, Anima Amim, Anima Amim, Be'amunash, Lema, Be'viat, Hamashiach, Be'afalpi, Shitame'e, Imkol, Ze, Achache, Lo Behol, Yom, Shehavo. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, and though he tarry, I will wait dirty for his coming. Basic statement of the uh, creed, if you like, of Judaism, 12th of Maimonides' 13-point version of the principles of faith. A declaration of belief that the Messiah will surely come. And I watched the soldiers singing it, and we're just going to just watch that uh, clip of these soldiers singing these words. 
And I found it quite moving. In fact, it sent shivers down my mind listening to him sing this. So perhaps, I don't know if we can get it up. Is it going to work properly? Perhaps you can't see it very well, but those are a whole bunch of Israeli soldiers getting ready to go into Gaza. Is it going to work? Turn it up a bit. with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. Do you believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah? Or the coming again? This lady, uh, Galit, she uh, drew attention to this conflict which is taking place between the religious and the secular in Israel. And she commented that much of the left-leaning press in Israel, Aretz and the TV programs, they actually put down this kind of expression because they say it's dangerous messianic faith, it's right wing, it should be suppressed. And she said how she had changed from being secular to having a faith in God and in the Messiah. She said she once viewed the peace program as the way to the messianic program. She said, my Messiah was the Oslo Accords. And she said, these messiahs were, false mes- these messiahs were a false messiah. Not only were they false, they were dangerous. But I want to defend the Messiah of the Jewish nation, the concept of the Messiah. I wonder what went wrong with us as a nation that this ascendant idea, this progression towards the eternal that brings the Jewish Messiah, why is it so ridiculous and ridiculed as being dangerous? In other words, she's saying, if you want to be a good Jew, you want to be a good Israeli, you want to win the battle, you've got to believe in the Messiah. In fact, if you look at every aspect of the current crisis affecting Israel and the world, the only hope we do have is in the Messiah. If you take God and the Messiah out of the situation in Israel, I would actually say there's no hope. If you take not just Israel, but also the world situation, which is on a cliffhanger, threatening to tip us over into calamity at any time, take God and the Messiah out of it, there really is no hope. Now, some people might say that the messianic hope is about the nations living in peace, So a group of soldiers armed with machine guns singing about the Messiah and about to go to war is a bit of a contradiction. Uh, The Jewish hope of the Messiah actually is that he brings the Jews back to the Torah, to the land of Israel, rebuilds the temple and creates world peace. So if the present restoration of the state of Israel is part of this process, then that state needs to be defended against its enemies who seek to destroy it. Uh, Golda Meir one time Prime Minister of Israel once said, if the Jews lay down their weapons, there'd be no more Israel. If the Arabs lay down their weapons, there'd be no more war. 
Now, according to a lot of Israel's enemies, the Arabs should be able to launch terrorist attacks on Israel, spread propaganda with messages of hate for Israel, build up weapons of mass destruction to destroy Israel, and Israel shouldn't really be allowed to defend itself against these attacks. From our point of view, if you believe that Israel is there by the right of God, by the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, Israel does have the right to defend itself. And therefore, these soldiers also have the right to sing about the Messiah as they go to war. But there's one issue which we do have, that is the identity of the Messiah. And it's a big issue. That's actually the heart of the issue. See, the Jewish view of the coming of the Messiah, he's a great man who teaches the Jews to live according to the Torah. Then the world is so impressed by this that they turn to the true God and act with loving kindness and mercy and truth. They stop fighting and whoring around and lying and doing drugs and violence and all that stuff and start to live in peace with one another. And the nations then beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into printing hooks and don't study war anymore. It's a nice idea, but if you look at the world as it is, it's not going to happen. And in fact, when the world looks at Israel today, it's not being attracted but turned off. You've got images of suffering of people in Gaza, which is actually leading to an outburst of Jew hatred. And some of it's reminiscent of the days leading up to the Holocaust in Germany. And if you're a friend of Israel, watching the news has become a form of torment. Now, we can understand why Israel has to go after Hamas and try and take them out. Because they're part of an alliance of rejectionist groups which want to destroy Israel. Led by Iran. And they don't want to destroy Israel, they want to plunge the whole area into a terrible war, which will end up with an Islamist tyranny which would be bad news not just for Israel, but also for the Arabs. Now, what's going on, if you understand it, is actually a fulfillment of the, what is recorded in the Hebrew prophets and in the New Covenant, for the time which the Bible calls Acharit Hayamim, the end of days. The unique time of trouble that will precede the coming of the Messiah. And it's on its way, which is, also means that the Messiah is on his way. And as we come to the end of 2023, we can see a lot of signs that the Messiah is coming. Whether he's coming in 2024, I will not be dogmatic about, but he's coming. And you're seeing things happening which are pushing the world in that direction. Because we too believe in the coming of the Messiah. But there's one little word which we want to insert into what the uh, prayer there says there. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah... That word is again. And that word makes all the difference because he's been here once before. It makes a huge difference. And actually the only one who's going to save Israel and the world is the Messiah who's already been here. His name is Yeshua, Jesus. He came once to bring Yeshua, which means salvation to the world, paying the price for the sin of the world dying and rising again from the dead. It's a sacrifice for our sins. Fulfillment of prophecies like Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, the one upon whom the Lord would lay the iniquity of us all, who would suffer in our place, would take the price of the sin of the world. That's already happened. That's what happened the first time. When he comes the second time, he's going to come in fulfillment of prophecies like Isaiah 2 as the reigning king, Messiah, with all the power of God at his disposal, to put right the mess which humans have made of the world. He's going to judge the world in righteousness according to how we've responded to the message of the gospel 
the first coming of Jesus. He's also going to destroy the rule of the wicked rulers of this earth, <coughs> as we read in Psalm 2. And he'll save Israel at the last battle and bring in the rule of the Messiah. And he's already sung to us a song about he shall reign over all the earth. And that is taken basically from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And we read about the Messiah coming, this time causing the nations to beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks and all the other horrible paraphernalia of war which we've invented in this time, which Isaiah the prophet knew nothing about, but which will also be destroyed and converted into means to build up and to create and to give good to the human race in the coming time which we call the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus the Messiah is going to reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. That is what the Bible says is going to happen. Before that time, it does say there's going to be a time of great tribulation, a time of Jacob's trouble, described in Jeremiah chapter 30, including Milchamat Gog and Magog, the war of Gog and Magog, of Ezekiel 38 and 39. <clears throat> and all this is going to center on Israel and affect the whole earth. And maybe that time has already begun. One of the things which when we look at what's happening in Gaza is to question, are we on the verge of something much bigger coming, which could tip over into one of these great conflicts of the last days? <coughs> You'll have to excuse me because I've got a bit of a cough, so hopefully I'll get through this without coughing too much. But the Hebrew prophets tell us that God will pour out his Holy Spirit on his people in the last days <coughs> and reveal the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And today we can see ministries like One for Israel and others making inroads into Israeli society, both secular and religious, with the message of the good news. We can also see all kinds of errors being taught in his name by those who oppose him and many of those who claim to be his followers in the church. One such error is the Palestinian Jesus. Jesus as a Palestinian. You heard this one? <coughs> I got what a video which I was going to play, but I couldn't get it together. But it's from Palestinian Media Watch. Speaking of different uh, Arabs, Palestinians, speaking about Jesus as a Palestinian. Official Palestinian Authority TV claiming that Jesus is a Palestinian by par excellence. PA Mufti Mohammed Hussein. Israeli Arab. A uh, member of Knesset, Sami Shahada, said the entire world knows that Jesus is a Palestinian. Palestinian government spokesman Ibrahim Melhem says the holiday of the birth of the Palestinian prophet, Jesus, the son of Mary. Jibril Yajoub, Deputy Secretary of Fatah Central Commission, Committee, the greatest Palestinian in history since Jesus is Yasser Arafat. <laughs> well, there you are. That guy, by the way, could possibly take over from Mahmoud Abbas as leader of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Itamar Marcus who, Marcus, who writes the Palestinian Media Watch, which is an Israeli organization monitoring Palestinian information, says the Palestinian Authority is desperate for a history that connects them to the land of Israel and claim a right to nationhood and deny Israel's right to exist. So it lies repeatedly that Jesus, the Jew living in the land of Judea, was a Palestinian basically contradicting the Christian Bible in the hope that its own people and its supporters worldwide will believe them. Okay, I think from your expressions that you don't believe them. 
because Jesus, of course, was a Jew. The very first verse of the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel, in Hebrew it reads, Sefer Toldot Yeshua HaMashiach Ben Avraham Ben David. Couldn't really get much more Jewish than that. English, I guess you know, says the book of the genealogy or the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. And it opens the fact that Jesus is the son of David, he's the son of Abraham. It uses two Hebrew words there, Sefer and Toldot, which connect it to the Old Testament, to Genesis, and which remind you that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies, then gives his ancestors, all of whom are Jews, which go back to Abraham. Tells you that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the Jewish kingdom of Judea. He preached throughout the regions of Galilee and Judea. He was circumcised on the eighth day and presented as Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn in the temple, where he was recognized as a baby by the elderly priest Simeon as the Messiah, who bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 4 tells us that Jesus also regularly attended synagogue in Nazareth, that he was growing up, prayed and taught as a Jew in the temple in Jerusalem, attending Jewish festivals such as Passover, Sukkot, etc. Uh, you'll find that Palestine is never mentioned in the New Testament. That's because in Jesus' time, Palestine never existed. Uh, there's one mention in Matthew chapter 2 when the family are in Egypt after fleeing from Herod's massacre of the firstborn, and they're told by the angel to return to the land of Israel. The Romans actually renamed the place Palestina after the second Jewish revolt in 135 AD in order to de-Judaize it, as they did with Jerusalem, calling it Aeolia Capitolana. And the world today wants to break the Jewish connection and call it Palestine and delete Israel from the map. Now, interesting, this is causing some Jewish people to recognize that they need to reclaim, reclaim Jesus as a Jew in order to fight the propaganda war against Israel. Good news. The Jerusalem Post writes this, Understanding the denial of Jesus' Jewishness is therefore crucial for understanding global anti-Israel misinformation and anti-Semitism. As a victim of anti-Semitism, Jesus would have been confused and perhaps insulted to be portrayed as a Palestinian, an identity given by the very empire, the Romans, whose soldiers were subjected him to anti-Semitic abuse before crucifying him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, as they tormented him, revealed in John chapter 19. When history is politically inconvenient, sometimes truth hardly matters. The anti-historical myth that Jesus was a Palestinian is often rooted in nationalist propaganda designed to erase Jewish history and memory a centuries-old system of anti-Jewish oppression. For the sake of preserving intellectual honesty and historical integrity, one must not only restore Jesus' Jewish identity and dispel once and for all the claim that Jesus was a Palestinian. That's from the Jerusalem Post. In other words, Jews and Israelis need to rediscover the Jewishness of Jesus to fight for the truth in the propaganda war in the Middle East. I also came across this very interesting letter from... Uh, a man called Jonathan Feldstein, who is an Orthodox Jew, was commenting on the situation in Gaza and his plan for saving the people of Gaza. I'll read what he says. With the war against Gaza raging, scores of Israeli soldiers have been killed in the combat, along with many more injured, 
and still some 130 hostages who were kidnapped from Israel on October the 7th, being held in captivity. It might be intuitive that this Christmas I'd be praying for anything other than the swift and full eradication of Hamas, the safe return of all our soldiers, including my son and son-in-law, and release of all the hostages. Then again, as an Orthodox Jew, one might think it odd that I'd be praying for anything specifically on Christmas. But I am. I'm praying for the Gazans to get a little bit of Jesus. As talks of another ceasefire loom, the UN and other international bodies pressing for a cessation of all combat, even without the return of all hostages, I'm looking to the day when the war ends. Whenever that may be, Israel has a different vision for what the day after will look like. The US, the Western powers, along with the Arab world, still call for a two-state solution to be under a perhaps revamped PLO-led Palestinian authority. Israel is not being so foolish because it knows that the PLO is nothing more than a gentler terror group than Hamas, that it does not accept Israel's right to exist, incites terror, pays pensions to terrorists as if they are national heroes. Even if it were a practical solution once upon a time, it's not practical now. And the idea is a gift to terrorists that they keep slaughtering, if they keep slaughtering Jews, they'll get a state. Eventually, Gaza will need to be rebuilt. No matter what, there are some two million Gazas who need a place to live. The destruction of Gaza has been commensurate with how deeply Hamas has embedded itself among the population and with civilian infrastructure such as schools, mosques, hospitals, UN facilities and residential areas. There's lots of work to be done. Perhaps this time, unlike in 2007 when Hamas took control and began its reign of terror over the population, Gazans will want to get it right. If rebuilt properly, purging the terrorists and supervised responsibly, Gaza can become a thriving entity, even like Singapore. Maybe, just maybe, there can be peace. It says, rebuilding needs to start from the ground up, first with destroying anything left of the underground city that's a maze of terrorist tunnels being destroyed, along with the evil Islamic ideology, ideology that birthed Hamas originally and was nurtured from Iran all these decades. But who can do the long-term recovery that's needed? It's not clear that any of the Arab states individually or as a consortium can or even are willing to do so. Certainly not Islamists, whether they're from Iran or Turkey or anywhere else. None of these would be objective players, each looking for their own interests, also turning a blind eye to the smuggling of weapons that threaten Israel. The last thing that Israel and Gaza need is a rebuilding of the extremist Islamic ideology at the foundation of rebuilding its territory and the resumption of arms smuggling. If ever there's hope for a lasting peace, there needs to be an overhaul of more than the physical infrastructure. There needs to be a change of heart. Change of heart. So who's going to give them a change of heart? Well, the rabbi goes on. He says, I was asked in an interview recently if I thought Jesus should come back, suggesting that he would bring peace. I replied, I don't know if Jesus is coming back, and if that will bring peace, I don't know. So he's speaking not as a believer, of course. But the Gazans could sure do with a little bit more of Jesus. I responded, if it was up to me, Billy Graham would come back and hold months of crusades throughout Gaza. There'd also be former Muslims who'd become Christians, many speak Arabic and know the culture, who would go along as well. I'm sure that from day one, Gazans, if Gazans are fed a diet of Christian faith to counteract the buffet of hate they've ingested, I told my interviewer that the only chance I saw for real peace is that the Gazans become real Christians. In doing so, that they not just abandon Allah in favor of the God of Israel, 
but they also become to love Israel, the land, the people, and the state, and the realization of God's promise to his people. I would send along Christian ministries that can bring thousands of volunteers of backgrounds and skills charged with education, medical and spiritual well-being, and physical reconstruction. Ministries like these can bring masses of the most faithful and committed volunteers. They'll be the most objective with the greatest ability to succeed in rebuilding Gaza by both genuinely loving and caring about Israel and its safety, but also about the well-being of the Palestinian Arabs. They will not allow the restoration of the massive terrorist infrastructure under their noses, as the UN, Red Cross, and other humanitarian groups have allowed over the ages. The best and safest way to change the situation and bring peace is for the masses of Gazans and Palestinian Arabs in general to convert to Christianity. Any Christian who understands the biblical covenant between God and the Jewish people, that it's eternal and unbreakable, will transform his or her heart. That's how true peace can be achieved. Goes on to say, this is not a task for the Jewish people. Our covenant is unique. Unique. We are meant to be a light to the nations. Nobody wants to live in peace more than the Jewish and Israeli people. But to bring real lasting peace, we need an army of Christians to restore Gaza. It may sound crazy, an Orthodox Israeli Jew proposing a plan to establish peace in Israel, not based on the mistaken formula of two states, but calling for our neighbors living in spiritual darkness to become spiritual allies by becoming Christians. Reality is that anger among Gazans towards Hamas is growing to such a degree that if presented a viable alternative, one based in morality that can bring prosperity, the ground is fertile for such an opportunity. Let's pray that Gazans' dissatisfaction with Hamas increases and that they all get a little Jesus this Christmas. That's a rabbi saying that, not me. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's a nice idea. Whether it would happen. I'm afraid it's not going to happen, not in the immediate future. But he's right. The only way in which actually they're going to have peace is if the Arabs become believers in Yeshua. It's interesting, though, that an Orthodox Jew sees this as Jesus, as the hope for changing Gaza. He says that it's not a task for the Jewish people. Actually, the New Testament says it is. Romans 9, Paul says to them, that to them, to the Jewish people, were entrusted the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, the Messiah came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. And on to say, brethren, my heart's desire, in chapter 10, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And in chapter 11, verse 25, Romans, Paul writes, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion, The blindness in part has come unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So God actually does have a purpose for Israel in all of this. And that purpose is bound up with the Messiah. And as I've already said, the big issue is whether you're looking for the Messiah yet to come or the Messiah who has come and is coming again. 
Interesting, if you go to Revelation chapter 7, you find that there are 144,000 of the tribes of Israel who were supernaturally saved at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period and go out with the gospel message to bring a great multitude to faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. Are we moving towards that? I think we are. And it's interesting that you have these Jewish people who are beginning to get the message that it's got something to do with Jesus. And all these things which are happening, Israel actually needs to reclaim Jesus as the Jew, but even more Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Having said that, we have to recognize that things are not going to get easy in the coming days. When you look at the current news, you have to say that things are looking very bleak to say that. One or two things which I gleaned from the news recently. Uh, despite pressure from the UN and the US, Israelis have no intention of ending their campaign in Gaza, calling for a ceasefire now. <clears throat> the military is now focusing on killing Hamas's leaders, dismantling its extensive tunnel network. And news, net, news reports, including from Prime Minister Netanyahu, say it may take months for Israel, the IDF to finish their work in the south. And there's a pressure for a ceasefire, which is increasing. There's negotiations taking place in Egypt. But to have a ceasefire, Israel actually wants the return of all the hostages, demilitarization of Gaza, the end of Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And it wants actually to control the security in Gaza, including Gaza's southern border, where munitions have come through, including underground tunnels from Egypt. Of course, none of this is acceptable to Hamas, which means it's unlikely that the conflict is going to come to an end anytime soon. Also, one has to say that fighting along Israel's northern border has ex escalated significantly, causing great concern. Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu has publicly stated that he has plans to finish after his he has plans to finish the conflict in the south before dealing with Hezbollah in the north. But he may have no choice in the matter because Hezbollah is continuing to fire at targets in northern Israel and the IDF continues to carry out strikes in response. Recently attacked a Hezbollah military headquarters in Lebanon. Because of the attacks, over 100,000 Israelis have been evacuated from the northern area and are now living in accommodation in mainly in hotels in the Tel Aviv area. Uh, Netanyahu wants to push the Hezbollah north of the Litani River. That's the Litani River, that's the border with Israel. Uh, and this is the area mainly where they're operating, attacking settlements in Israel here in the north. Uh, if that happens, Hezbollah will not obviously pull back voluntarily. And so you're heading for a potentially catastrophic conflict between Israel and Hezbollah. Most of Hezbollah's long-range missiles are north of the Litani River, floating up to Beirut. And if they were to loose some of these long-range missiles on Israel, Israel would launch a potentially devastating attack on Lebanon, including on Beirut, uh, which could actually cause Lebanon to virtually collapse as a state. Uh, meanwhile, Israel continues to mount airstrikes on Syria. Uh, an airstrike in Damascus just the last few days killed an Iranian military commander. The Iranians are actually furious about this. On Saturday, the US blamed the Iranians for a drone attack on a chemical tanker 
in the Indian Ocean, and subsequently the Iranians have threatened to shut down the entire Mediterranean Sea. But they have the ability to do that. It's another question. <coughs> Certainly their proxies in, <coughs> in Yemen, the Houthis are attacking shipping, which is bound for Israel, up the Red Sea, <coughs> through the narrow straits here at the Gulf, at the bottom of the Red Sea. <coughs> um, U.S. short warships have moved into the region, and shipping's been diverted around the Cape because of this, which is disrupting shipping lanes up to Suez, which affects about 30% of global trade. Going to add to expenses, add to the oil price rise, and the question is, will the U.S. now attack the Houthis? Already they're beginning to. And Iranian militias in Iraq have also started hitting targets in Israel and U.S. bases in the region. One of the things which you're noticing is Iran is becoming much bolder in its aggression. It's actually on the verge of creating its nuclear bomb, which, according to some, may be only weeks away from being delivered. Whether they have the ability to put it onto a miss missile is questionable, but they have links with Russia, with North Korea, who could help them to do that. So there's a huge question mark of danger which is facing Israel. And Iran is behind all of this. So one option which people are talking about is that there will be an attack directly on Iran, perhaps with the US involved as well, in which case that could unleash a whole new dynamic uh, especially since Russia and China, an alliance with Iran, which could bring them into the fray in a potential for the lineup of the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Turkey is also making threatening noises against Israel at the moment, launching another conflict, and at, at the moment it's also launching another conflict in the region by attacking Kurdish, Kurdish forces in Syria and Iraq. Meanwhile, the threat of radical Islam spreading in the West Bank, the Arab Muslim world, and even here in the West. We have radical Islamists using the anti-Israel demos to recruit people, especially young people, to their cause, also calling for a jihad against the infidel West, attacking not only Jews in cities like London and New York, but also those who stand by them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Barbara and I went to a meeting with some Jewish friends and the local MP, whose name is Mike Freer, uh, about defending Jews against anti-Semitism in this area. Mike Freer actually spoke very well about the subject. I have my issues with Mike Freer, but uh, on this issue, he spoke very well, and he stood up for the Jewish people and has done so publicly. Uh, headlines of the Jewish Chronicle this week says that Mike Freer is now fearing for his life because of his stand for Israel. And it's becoming quite dangerous. In fact, even we could be putting ourselves in danger putting out this kind of information because of the growing hostility and the growing attack upon Israel. And if you're going around with your little badges about standing up for Israel, you could also be putting yourself in line for hostility from those people who don't like Israel. We're living in a very dangerous time, and we have some very dangerous forces which are being unleashed. And basically, they're spreading their propaganda against, not just against Israel, but also calling for submission to Islam. Uh, there are actually about 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. That's about a quarter of the entire global population. And they're probably going to play a major role in the growing chaos of the last days. 
So this war in the Middle East is not the end of the story. Instead, it could be just the beginning. And we're seeing so many things happening which are pushing us towards the end-time conflict. Uh, the Hamas Charter actually says Israel will exist and continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Not only does it want to obliterate Islam, it also, it, Israel it wants to obliterate the Western way of life and also Christianity. So should we be worried about it? Yeah, you should actually. Uh, be worried, but don't be terrified. A lot of people are talking about Islamophobia. I'm not preaching Islamophobia because a phobia is an irrational fear. It's not irrational to have some concerns about these guys because they actually have some pretty dangerous uh, intentions. But the God of the Bible is actually against them. He's on the side of those who stand for Israel and those who stand for his truth. And, of course, those who stand for Jesus, the Messiah. If you take the Bible literally, then the rebirth of Israel is the sign of the budding of the fig tree that Jesus spoke about as a sign of his return. Luke's Gospel, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 28, it says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up, your heads, lift, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. And he spoke to him a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees when they're already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So when you see the rebirth of Israel, you see it's a sign of the second coming of the Messiah. Uh, we began by talking about Jewish people looking for the coming of the Messiah. We believe it's the coming again of the Messiah, and you're seeing these things happening, which are signs of the coming again of the Messiah. Israel's life, national life being restored, that's what the fig tree represents, the national life of Israel. Uh, it was scattered, now it's being reborn. But it's been contested, and now it's reaching its peak. Events are being set in motion which will lead to climactic events of the last days. How long and in what order remains to be seen. There are certain things which the Bible says remain to, are about, will happen in the last days. One of them is the war of Gog and Magog, when an alliance of nations comes down from the north against Israel and is supernaturally destroyed by God. Now there is, there'll be a false peace treaty. Daniel speaks about that, some kind of a peace covenant which we set up for seven years, which breaks down halfway through and leads not just to, not to peace, but the final conflict and the second coming of Jesus. Question is, can Israel win? Um, now, if you leave God out, I would say ultimately no. <laughs> it's outnumbered, it's outgunned, it's the subject of worldwide rejection. So in many ways, Israel is becoming a type of the suffering servant itself, being led as a lamb to the slaughter. But you can't leave God out. God has his purpose still for this people. And I believe that God has a covenant which goes way back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, that he gave to that people, the title deeds of ownership of that land. And ultimately, that it'll be the scene where the Messiah will come back to and will reign from Jerusalem, from that city of Jerusalem. So there will be a restoration, a resurrection if you like. And the scripture implies that Israel will be there at the second coming of Jesus. So it must remain on site. Then the government will be on his shoulder. And Jerusalem will be restored, capital not just of Israel, but the world. The nations will go up then to the restored temple in Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord. And there will be a thousand years of peace to conclude this earth 
until God burns it up and makes a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the message is, when you look at all these things happening, don't despair, but look up because your redemption draws near. And if you're Jewish and you're trembling about what's happening, then again, look to the Messiah who has come and is coming again. And who is Jewish and who is the Jewish Messiah who came once to save his people, who loves the Jewish people, and who wants to bring them into a relationship with himself through Yeshua. So believe with perfect faith in the coming again of the Messiah. Now, there's a whole lot of other things which are happening, and I'm going to just briefly go through one or two of them because time's going. You've got a whole lot of other conflicts taking place in the world, in Sudan. I don't know if you know that there are 7 million people displaced in Sudan, 5 million chronic hunger. Khartoum is virtually destroyed. Arab militias are attacking non-Arab peoples in Darfur, deliberately targeting civilians making attacks on Masalit people, and thousands are fleeing to the neighboring country of Chad. How many demonstrations have you seen in London about that? Zero. Doesn't matter if Muslims kill Muslims. Uh, that's okay. But if Jews are involved, then that's not okay. You've got Russia and Ukraine. They're talking about the possibility that Russia will actually win. If Russia wins, it's bad news for all of us, especially for the Ukrainians. And it's bad news for NATO because it means that NATO will have failed to hold back Russia, which could lead to more attacks in the days to come. China's also talking about taking Taiwan. I said a couple of years ago, there were three conflicts to watch for, Middle East, Russia, Ukraine, and Taiwan. I said that before they came. Two of them already happened. The third one is on the way. If that happens, then you've got a huge crisis which could really bring in America, everybody. And you've got all sorts of other little countries which are taking the cue from Russia attacking Ukraine to attack their neighbors, including Azerbaijan attacking Armenia. Turkey is now attacking the Kurdish regions in Iraq and Syria. Uh, Turkey is even on maneuvers to threaten Cyprus and the Greek islands, has dreams of restoring the Ottoman Empire, uh, ruling over Syria and Israel. Venezuela is making claims on half of Guyana. North Korea is building up its military and missile strength, threatening its neighbors, South Korea, Japan, even USA. And you've got Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Sudan, racked by internal conflict. And China threatening Taiwan and its neighbors. Xi just made a speech promising to unify China, which means taking over Taiwan. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom great instability. It's a verse in the book of Chronicles which says, <coughs> in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So we've got a bad situation in the world, a lot of violence everywhere. Apart from all these wars, you've got crazed people going around with guns and knives. Uh, got law enforcement being laxed. You've got drugs, gang violence, criminal activity, uh, abuse of women and children, slave labor, violence in the Islamic world against anyone who departs from Islam, violence and oppression against anyone in Russia who goes against the corrupt Putin regime, also in China. 
It's a bad situation everywhere. Say nothing of globalism and the New World Order project, which I haven't really time to speak about, but if you want to read the latest light, edition of Light for the Last Days, I tell you how all these things to do with COVID, to do with uh, net zero, to do with uh, attempts to change the Western world are pushing us towards the world government situation which they have in mind. And we see also the failure of the church to say much about it. Pope's now into LGBT and said it big time, so is the Church of England. Prince Charles, King Charles, gave a nice speech at Christmas time. Okay, he prodded Jesus. Talked about being kind to people and doing good, which is good. <laughs> but it's, if you look, analyzed it, it's basically a social gospel telling people to be kind and love their neighbor, but with nothing about the message of the gospel, which actually is calling people to repent and believe the gospel. And if you look at much of what the religious system is saying, especially the established church, that's the message. Be nice people, believe in Jesus, but don't call anybody to repent and believe the gospel. Don't say that Jesus is the one way to God because that's offensive to people of other religions. And don't try to uh, preach the gospel, basically. Which leaves you with the question, what are we supposed to do? In the Bible, it says that it'll be as in the days of Noah. Jesus said, in the New Testament, it says, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. And one of eight people, preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world, in the, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And he says, but Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. As the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man. As in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. As in the days of Noah, we're living as in the days of Noah now. You're seeing the same social conditions as there were in the days of Noah you're seeing the place that there's one way of salvation, which is to go into the ark of salvation through Yeshua. And you're seeing also the message of warning going out. And this is basically a message of warning to the people to repent, to believe, and to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. What was it like in the days of Noah? The days of Noah, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, for he was grieved in his heart. <clears throat> so the Lord said, I will dis destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. 
And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. <clears throat> Can you see the parallel with what's happening today? It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That means he found favor. God favored Noah because he was a godly man and he seek, sought God for his salvation. He was living in a time of great distress. There was great wickedness of the earth, on the earth. Every imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually. They were corrupt before the Lord, filled with violence. It's a picture of our world today. You see corrupt thought life leading to violence and corruption everywhere. No matter where you look, you see examples of this. And you see in so many situations that the bad guys are winning momentarily and taking power. And the majority of people on the earth are on, sadly on the road to destruction, not the road to life. They're following false prophets. Got a bad root and a bad fruit. They're building their house on the sand, not on the rock. And when the storm hits, it's going to fall down. And it is going to hit. In fact, it's already hitting. Bible says there are going to be perilous times in the last days and there's going to be a minority of people on the road to life. But Noah found grace. Have you found grace? Have you gone into the ark of salvation which God has prepared? You don't have to go into a physical boat. You have to go by faith into Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. He's the one who has made the way for us to find life and salvation. Now, there are things which have been set in motion, I've mentioned some of them tonight, which actually mean that it's inevitable that God's judgment is going to fall upon the world. Sadly, we can't stop it from happening. And Noah couldn't stop it from happening either. It was going to happen. We can't save the world in its present state. I wish we could. It's on the road to destruction. But we can save ourselves, and we can save others those who go with us into the ark of salvation in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. We may be a minority, but a minority with God is already a majority. When it comes to the final showdown between God and the devil, which is what the final conflict is all about, God wins hand down. And his people are on the road to eternal salvation and eternal life, while the devil and all his people are on the road to eternal destruction. And you have to ask yourself, which road am I on? Which road do I want to be on? Anyone with any sense wants to be on the road to eternal life. And there's only one way you can get onto that road. That's through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. Whether it's to Israel or to the rest of the world, Yeshua is the one. He's the one who's come. He's the Messiah. If you get into the ark of salvation, you're safe. If you don't, you're lost. I want to conclude with some words I got from the message by Jonathan Brentner, who's one of the good speakers on the internet. He said, some say Bible prophecy scares people. Actually, it's the news of our day which frightens people for those who are paying attention. Understanding what the Bible says about the future is the only way to have a hopeful attitude to what's going on. The Bible reminds us that God is sovereign, that God is still on his throne, and that he will remember his own. He knows the end from the beginning and is ultimately in control of all that takes place in our world. 
What we see happening today is precisely what the Lord through his prophets said the world would look like at the time of the end. And regardless how chaotic our world appears, God will accomplish his purposes for both our lives and the end of human history as we know it. And today the convergence of signs screams out that the world is heading in one direction. God's judgment on the ungodly during the tribulation period, followed by Jesus' thousand-year reign over the nations. We not only see the sequence in the book of Revelation, but also throughout the writings of the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures. The preparations for war in the Middle East may stagger our imagination, but God's word tells us that someday Jesus will make wars to cease to the ends of the earth. It's then and only then that the words of the psalm will become reality, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted on the earth. The scripture assures us that we will reign with Jesus as he rules for a thousand years over the nations in peace and righteousness. As believers, we have an inheritance which will someday result in wonders and pleasures far beyond what even the rich and famous of our day currently enjoy. So focus on Jesus appearing to take us to glory. Scripture tells us of a future event which will rock the world. The Lord Jesus will suddenly appear, raise all the dead in Christ with immortal bodies, and catch up the living believers to meet him in the air with glorified bodies, the event which we call the rapture of the church. Whether that will happen soon or later remains to be seen, but it will happen. So be ready for it to happen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells you about it. Since the words of the Bible are true, we know that the sequence of events described in these passages must happen. Jesus will appear. When he does, he will give us glorified and incorruptible bodies. This is the promise of Scripture. Regardless of what happens in our future, we rest on the expectation that Jesus is coming to take us to be with himself in glory. This is the substance of what Paul described as our blessed hope in Titus 2. <clears throat> it's the focus that enables us to hold our earthly aspirations loosely in our hands as we face an uncertain future. <coughs> Trust Jesus. During these turbulent times, it's essential that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and believe that his promises are true. A glorious and joyous eternity awaits us. The gospel message includes both forgiveness of sins and the hope of Jesus appearing to take us to glory. This is the expectation that sustained many New Testament saints in their afflictions and will do the same for us in the turbulent days ahead. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the Messiah who we believe in, who is coming this time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you are coming again this time as King of Kings and Conquering King. And we pray, Lord, that you bless us and keep us and help us to live our lives to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.